Bhakti Vaishnava Vrinda Ki Jai Namacharya Shila Haridas Thakur Ki Jai Prem Shikaho Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Doita Kadadha Shri Vasadi Gaur Bhakti Vrinda Ki Jai Shri Shri Radha Krishna Gaur Govina Shana Kunda Radha Kunda Giri Govardhana Ki Jai Vrindavindama Ki Jai Madhura Dhamma Ki Jai Navadrit Mayapur Dhamma Ki Jai Jagannath Puri Dhamma Ki Jai Gangalai Jamuna Devi Ki Jai Bhakti Devi Ki Jai Tulsi Maharani Ki Jai Samaveta Bhakti Vrinda Ki Jai Gaur Premanande All glories to the assembled devotees all glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to Sri Guru and Gauranga. All glories to Shiva Prabhupada, Nama Om Vishnu Padaya, Krishna Prastaya Bhutala, Himati Bhakti Vedanta Swami Niti Namane, Namaste Saraswati Deve, Gauravani Pacharani, Nirvasesa Sanyavadi Paskatadya Satani, Vandeham Sri Guru Sri Yuta, Parakamalam Sri Guru Vaishnavamscha, Sri Rupam Sagrajatam, Sagana Raganatam Vitamstam Sajivam. Swatvaitram, Sabadutam, Parijana Saita, Krishna Chaitanya Deva, Sri Radha, Krishna Padam, Sahagana, Lalita, Sri Vishakam, Vitamsha, Panchakalpa, Sri Vishak, Vipasana, Vajra, Patitanam, Pavanavya, Vaishnava, Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. First, we'd like to wish a happy 70th birthday to Krishna Priya Devi Dasi, one of the foundational pillars of the new Goloka community, former temple president, former head pujari, very dear servant of Radha Golokananda. Happy, happy, happy birthday. So today is May 25th, 2020 in Hillsborough, North Carolina. We're reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 10, Chapter 16. Krishna chastises, chastises the serpent, Kaliya, text 48. This is still the prayers of the Nagapatnis. Paravaragatignaya Sarvadyakshayate namaha Avivayacha Avishvayacha Vishvaya Tadraste swacha hetave Para Avara of all things both superior and inferior. Gati the destinations. Naya to him who knows. Sarva of all things. Adyakshaya to the regulator. Te, Te, you, you. Namaha, Namaha, our obeisances. Avishvaya, to him who is distinct from the universe. Cha, and Vishvaya, in whom the illusion of material creation manifests. Tadrastre, to the witness of such illusion. Asya, Asya. Of, the, of this world, of this world. Cha. Cha, and, 
Hetave, to the root cause. Just to look at the Sanskrit for a moment. Scroll up. So, Sarvajakshaya. So, what is Ikshaya? Eyes, yes. So, Sarvajakshaya would literally mean what? See everything. See everything. Like what we, in English, we use the word supervision, right? The supervisor. Uh, then we have avishvayacha vishvaya. So there we see one of these paradoxes that the Nagapatnis are talking about a lot of paradoxes. You're not the universe and yet you're the universe. Okay, so to the translation and purport by the followers of A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada. Translation, obeisances unto you who know the destination of all things, superior and inferior, and who are the presiding regulator of all that be. You are distinct from the universal creation, and yet you are the basis upon which the illusion of material creation evolves, and also the witness of this illusion. Indeed, you are the root cause of the entire world. Purport. The words para and avara indicate superior subtle elements and inferior gross ones. The words also indicate superior personalities, devotees of the Lord, and inferior personalities who are unaware of the glories of God. Lord Krishna knows the destiny of all superior and inferior entities, animate and inanimate, and as the supreme absolute truth, he remains in his unique position above everything, as indicated by the word sarvadyakshaya. Paravara gati gnaya sarvadyakshaya te namaha avishvaya cha vishvaya tadraste swa jahetave. Obeisances unto you who know the destination of all things, superior and inferior, and who are the presiding regulator of all that be. You are distinct from the universal creation, and yet you are the basis upon which the illusion of material creation evolves and also the witness of the solution. Indeed, you are the root cause of the entire world. So, it's always good to remember the scene here. Uh, that here's Kalia, their husband, this uh, mystic serpent being who's almost dead. He's almost dead, and is Krishna still dancing? He must still be dancing. He's not probably not stationary. And the Nagapatnis have come out and they're begging him to spare the life of their husband because they're noticing by the signs that he has surrendered. And so they don't want him to be killed. Right? And come, they've come out with their children, with their offspring. they come out in a very disheveled way. But we find that in the <coughs> prayers in the Bhagavatam, there's consistently that you don't just ask for something. You don't just come and say, please give me this. <laughs> Right, first you glorify the Lord. And after glorifying the Lord, then you ask for a benediction. And you are supposed to ask for a benediction. Even if the benediction is just, may I serve you, may I remember you, may I be pleasing to you, you ask for some benediction. But here the Nagapatnis are glorifying the Lord, and as Maharaj pointed out the other day, uh, these are the glorification of these uh, females is far greater than that of most Western philosophers and theologians. And uh, these are not even human women. They're 
uh, Nagas, they're mystically higher than humans, but we could say also they're kind of lower in terms of the modes of nature. And yet they're able to speak this amazing philosophy that is beyond, you know, the greatest human philosophers. So there's, there's many, many commentaries by our acharyas on this particular verse. Uh, I had been reading Jiva Goswami's commentary, but I thought if I did that, I'd have to read everybody's commentary. There's commentary by Jiva Goswami, by Sanatan Goswami, by Madhvacharya, by Sridhar Swami. So I'll be referring to these commentaries. And the, when in the commentary of Sanatan Goswami, he's talking about these contradictions, these paradoxes. And he says that all these paradoxes, there are like different currents in the ocean of the qualities of the Lord. We know the Lord identifies himself with the ocean. He says, of bodies of water, I am the ocean. In the universal form, the ocean is the waste of the Lord. And if we think about, um, yesterday my daughter was dancing in front of the deities. You know, when the when a person has their waist, the waste is moving in different ways. Yes, so these diff- this waste of the Lord is the ocean. It has different currents that may be apparently moving in different directions. Yes? It, it may seem like that. Well, this current is moving this way, this current is moving this way. If you ever swam in the ocean, how they seem to opposing, be opposing one another. Just like a very expert dancer is moving their waist in such a way that sometimes you're wondering how they're not breaking in two. Sometimes the dancing of the gopis is described like that, or Krishna's dancing is described like that, that their waists are so thin and they're moving in such amazing, dramatic ways that you can't understand how they're remaining, they're keeping their integrity. So in a similar way, these uh, seeming contradictions or these paradoxes, they may seem to break. You may think, well, how is the Lord an integrated being, an integrated person with all these different seeming contradictions. Uh, I like the word paradox. Rather, I I come to prefer the word paradox because a paradox, different things that appear to be opposing one another can simultaneously exist. I was very happy that Mars the other day was bringing out the hermeneutics program, which hopefully we'll be able to pilot our, our course here And one of the principles is about the mitigation of seeming contradictions and paradoxes. It's one of the principles of understanding the Shastra, of understanding God. If we look at one of the main arguments that the atheists have, I think the only argument that the atheists have, and we had in a previous verse, the one that Ratnaradika spoke about, how the modes of nature both hide and reveal the Lord. And her explanation of that is people can look at the world and say, oh, the world proves there's no God. And someone else can look at the world and say, the world proves there is a God. Yes? So uh, the, these paradoxes are like that. Right? We can look at something and say, oh, this, this proves there's no God. And the main paradox that the atheists use is that God is supposed to be all good, all merciful, and yet people are suffering. And even religious people are suffering. This was my stepmother's main argument as to why she wasn't religious. She said, what's the point of being religious? Religious people also suffer. And we see practically in our Hare Krishna movement, devotees have every variety of suffering 
than anybody else has. Isn't it? Anything that can happen to anybody in the world. There are devotees who've been raped and murdered. There are devotees who've been, you know, betrayed. There have been devotees who've been imprisoned unjustly. There are devotees who've died in natural disasters and from diseases and, you know, you name it. It's happened. Yes? And we might say, you know, well, this is a paradox. There must not be a god. You know, or he must not be a very nice god. But the devotees see in these paradoxes the glories of the Lord. And and as I say, this is the most difficult paradox. Why is it that bad people seem to prosper and good people suffer? We don't see in this life, in one little moment in time, that all bad people are suffering and that all good people are enjoying. That's not what what we're seeing. Of course, what is not visible is the consciousness of the person. So throughout the Shastra, the Lord is telling us, the great devotees are telling us that those in the proper consciousness aren't suffering any material miseries at all. It's apparent. But it's not real. Krishna says this in the sixth chapter of Bhagavad Gita. What is actual freedom from all material miseries? It's not that nobody ever shoots you or you never get a virus or there's never a tornado. But one is relishing and rejoicing in the self. One is having inner pleasure. One is seeing the reality for what it is. As Krishna is the supervisor of reality. As he sees reality for what it is, the devotee also sees reality for what it is. And therefore, they understand all these paradoxes of the Lord. He's all good. He's all merciful. His devotees are never vanquished. And yet they may die from COVID-19. They can, they can adjust all these paradoxes. So we're going to look at some of them. And we should remember that while we're looking at these, that we're not looking at these paradoxes from the point of view of a jnani or even of a jnani yogi. So Sanatana Goswami and Sridhar Maharaj, in looking at, uh, and when we say Sridhar Swami, we don't mean our god-brother Sridhar Swami, and we don't mean our god-uncle Sridhar Swami, we mean the original Shudrash, the great commentator on the Bhagavatam. So both Sanatana Goswami and Shudhar Swami point out that these paradoxes can only be understood when the Lord is pleased with us. And as Ratnaradika pointed out the other day, such is true even for us ordinary humans. Yes? We all also appear to have paradoxes. Isn't that a fact? Yes? I I received an email the other day from one of my former students about how I was such a fanatic conservative and how I was such a fanatic conservative that I just preached that all the girls should get married young and have babies and how, you know, this was so difficult for her and so she's decided never to get married and never to have babies and how she has now this successful career in the world and then I have another email from an ISKCON leader saying, the problem with you, Ermila, is that you're a fanatic feminist and that you're telling all the women they shouldn't get married and they shouldn't have babies and they should all be diksha gurus and have careers. And it's, it's very interesting that I have these two people seeing me in, in completely, completely different ways. And, you know, to them it must appear paradoxical. So even as an ordinary person, I, you know, we, each of us appear to have contradictory 
things in us, and each of us can only be understood if we reveal ourselves to someone, if we say to someone, this, this is who I am. Isn't this a fact, right? Haven't we all been misunderstood? And unless we have a relationship with someone where they're pleased with us and we're pleased with them, then our real nature cannot be understood. So how much more is this true of Krishna, who is infinitely complex? And Krishna has these four main descriptors of his personality. I, I love talking about it. It's one of my favorite classes to talk about Krishna's personality. The Dira Prashanta, right? the Dira Lalita, the Dira Dhatta, and the Dira Dhatta. So the Dira Prasanta, I like to think of as like the gentleman. This is Krishna washing the feet at the Rajasthuya Yagya. An exemplar of a Dira Prasanta personality is Maharaj Yudhisthira. You know, the, the consummate gentleman. Then you have Dira Lalita. The personification of Dira Lalita is Cupid. So this is the party boy, the fun boy. This is, you know... This is the person who, who sneaks out in the middle of the night to party with his friends and have picnics and, you know, tells his mother that he was worshipping the Lord where actually he was out playing games. Oh, this is the party boy, the fun person. And then you have the Dirodata. Dirodata is the hero. So the epitome of Dirodata is Lord Ramachandra. Dharma. My father gave a promise to my stepmother that involves me, I'm keeping it. But dear son, you don't have to keep my promise. Rebel against me, I'm keeping it. <laughs> you know, someone in the kingdom complains about my wife, oh, she has to go. People have to have faith in me and my integrity. I put the integrity of the kingdom above my own family pleasure. So this is this hero. And Krishna exemplifies this when he lifts Govardhan Hill. It's very heroic. And then there's the Dhirodhata. The Dhirodhata is epitomized by Bhima, the bad boy. Bhima who makes the vow, I'm going to tear the chest of Dushasha and drink his blood, <laughs> wash my wife's hair with the blood. <laughs> That's Dhirodhata. And Krishna is also Dhirodhata when he's talking to Hiranyaksha. He says, dogs like you. <laughs> <laughs> insulting his enemies on the, on the battlefield with all these sarcastic words. You know, and we find in this world all these four types are attractive, isn't it? These are all the heroes of the books and movies. Yes, the, the gentleman, the party boy, the hero, and the bad boy. So how, did, how is this compatible in one person? How is it compatible in one person? I mean, Jopati had to have five husbands, each of with different qualities, isn't it? But in Krishna, they're all there. Krishna's the, the gentleman and the bad boy. He's the dharmic hero and the party boy. He's, he's, he's all of those together. And when you understand him, when he's pleased with you and reveals himself to you, then you can understand him. So we'll look at just a few of these paradoxes from this verse very briefly. So we have this avishvaya, chavishvaya. You're the universe and you're not the universe. The universe is in you, but it's not in you. 
And Jiva Goswami, in referencing this verse, talks about Brahma Vimohan Lila. How, and because Brahma mentions this in his prayers. One of my, I, I love, the first time I ever read Krishna book, my favorite chapter was chapter 14, the prayers of Lord Brahma when I was in college. And Lord Brahma is saying, Mother Yasoda saw all the universe inside your body, but yet, here I am talking to you. Mother Yasoda saw Lord Brahma inside of Krishna's body. And she didn't see a picture of Lord Brahma or, you know, a movie of Lord Brahma. She actually saw Lord Brahma. In fact, she saw herself inside of Krishna's body, and yet she saw Krishna while she's seeing herself inside Krishna's body. And Lord Brahma is saying, I don't understand this. And then Jiva Goswami goes on uh, to say that the four-handed forms that Lord Brahma first saw, all the cowherd boys and the calves turned into these four-handed Vishnu forms, they were maintaining the whole universe. Each one of those Vishnu forms, they're being worshipped by all the living entities and they're maintaining the universe. And yet, Krishna's standing there as this little boy with yogurt and rice in his left hand, in his left hand, which is not supposed to do that. <laughs> not supposed to eat with your left hand. He has his food in his left hand, this little boy, just looking at Lord Brahma, who are you? Why are you offering me these prayers? Can I get back to my fun? And yet, there's all these Vishnu forms maintaining the universe. So, of course, uh, this idea that the universe is in the Lord but not in the Lord, we have the verse, Maya tetam idam sarvam jagadav yakta murtinam matstani sarvabhutani nachaham te sarvastitaha. By me, in my manifested form, this entire universe is pervaded. All beings are in me, but I am not in them. So I remember very clearly when I, we had the school out in Efland, we would teach this verse every year. It was part of the 48 verses that had been distilled down by uh, Gopi Pranadana Peru and Dravida. There were five of us who picked out the 48 key verses to teach the kids. After Gopi Pranadana Prabhu said, uh, bring out one of your star students and have them recite the whole Bhagavad Gita. So I brought out my daughter and uh, she could only recite them all in order. When he asked her for specific verses, she couldn't do that. You know how it is like when you're trying to remember the alphabet and you've got to go through the whole thing? If you're trying to remember just which letter goes in front of which, you have to recite the whole thing. And he said, better 25 verses learned well than 700 learned poorly. And it was like, uh so we picked out these 48 verses, and that was one of them. So I was, was teaching that in Efland, and then we had a break. And I heard two of the kids, like six, seven years old, talking. And they said, Mother Amula doesn't know the philosophy of Krishna consciousness. <laughs> because she said, all beings are in me, but I am not in them. And that's not true. I know Krishna's in everyone's heart. She's wrong. <laughs> So this is this paradox. All beings are in me, but I am not in them. And then what does Krishna say in the next verse? Yet everything that is created does not rest in me. Behold my mystic power. And then Krishna also says in the Bhagavad Gita, I am in everyone's heart. She says, I'm not there, but I am there. They're in me. No, they're not in me. So this is also this point is also exemplified in the Brahma Samhita, 
one of Sadapucha Prabhu's famous verse, uh, favorite verses. Right? Ekopiso or Chaitam Jagananda Koti, Achakterasti Jagananda Chayacharanta, Andantarasta Padamanu Chayantarasta, Andantarasta Padamanu Chayantarasta. So the whole universe is in Krishna. All right, so we can make a picture of that in our mind. The universe is in Krishna. Okay, we got that? Yes? Okay. Now, Paramanu, the atom, andantarasta, so Krishna is also in the atoms. Can we get a picture of that? There's a little Krishna in every atom. Okay, but inside Krishna that's in every atom is the universe. And in the universe is every atom. And in every atom there's Krishna. And Krishna... This universe. Then our brain goes fizzle, fizzle, pop, pop. And we just, we can't accommodate this. Right? How is everything Krishna and not in Krishna? Then that Krishna knows all destinations. Paravara gati nyaya. Krishna knows the gati, the goal of everyone. The devotees, the non-devotees, matter, spirit. He knows where everyone is going. But we still have free will. Mars was speaking about this the other day. And I thought I would read... some things that I've compiled about how Krishna knows everything. He knows the future. He knows our destination. But we have free will. So this is from a lecture on Bhagavad Gita... 9 2 to 5 from New York, November 23, 1966. Narada Muni goes generally to Narayana in another planet. So, yes, to one Brahmana and one cobbler, they inquired like this. So, may I know what is their destination? So, Narayana said, Well, yes, the cobbler, after giving up his body, he's coming here at Vaikuntha. And what about that Brahmana? Oh, he has to remain there so many births. Or I do not know when he is coming. <laughs> Prabhupada's presenting here that Lord Narayan is saying to Narada Muni, I don't know when he's coming. It's going to be a, while, a long time, but I don't know when he's coming. From a letter to Madhavisa on July 31st, 1970, because Krishna knows everyone's future, does not remove our free will. Someone may commit a theft, and if I know that, then I know that he will be captured and punished. That is knowing his future. But know that future does not mean that he had no choice not to commit the criminal act. There are two destinies for everyone. One destiny is in Krishna consciousness and the other destiny is in material consciousness. So if someone is in Krishna consciousness, then Krishna knows his future. And if he's in material consciousness and acting in that way, then Krishna also knows his future. In this way, the free will is not affected by knowing the future of the living being. That is an erroneous conclusion. And then... This is from the Chaitanya Bhagavat, Majjakanda, Chapter 2. Mahaprabhu starts Sankirtan at the house of Srivas Pandit. Srivas is most dear to the Lord. Therefore, the Lord blessed him and everyone present by placing his lotus feet upon their heads, which is very related to Kaliya, right? But not quite the same. He wasn't kicking them. <laughs> Bowing at his feet. Smiling, Vishambar said, May your attachment and attraction for me increase. The Lord spoke loudly like a roaring lion and addressing Srivas said, Oh Srivas, are you afraid of something? News has reached me that the government men want to capture you and they have come with two boats. I am the super soul within everyone's heart, which is related here to this 
Oh, now it's on the next verse. But it's related here to this being the supervisor. Thus, I control and direct everyone's activities according to my sweet will. The king can only capture you if I, being situated in his heart, prompt him to do so. Ooh, wait, wait a minute. Where that sounds like Krishna is a super soul is controlling us, what we can do and what we can't do. But then what does Lord Chaitanya says? Yet, if for some reason he acts independently and gives the order to capture you. So he's saying, I, the super soul, can say, don't do it. But he can not listen to you. Then I will do the following. I will be the first to step into the boat and present myself before the king. Upon seeing me, do you think that he can remain seated upon the throne? I will delude him, take control of him, and drag him down. So Mahaprabhu was saying, okay, if he doesn't listen to me as a super soul, I'm going to go in the boat and I'm going to take him off his throne. I'll bewilder him with my mystic power. Should this not happen? We think about Duryodhana, how Duryodhana saw the universal form. And he's like, oh, a magician. Should this not happen, then I will tell the king, listen to the truth, O king. Call all of your religious heads and judges to the court. Collect all your elephants, horses, animals, and birds. Whatever creatures you have, bring them to your palace. Then order all of your Kazi priests to read from your scriptures and inspire the creatures to such a state of spiritual emotion that they begin to cry. When his priests fail to do so, then I will reveal my potency to the king. I will say, O king, on the instructions of these same Kazi priests, whose lack of spiritual power we have already witnessed, you want to forbid the congregational chanting of the holy name of Krishna. Now you shall see my power to the full satisfaction of your eyes. Then I shall capture a mad elephant and bring him before the king. Mad elephant means a male in must. That'll comp- male elephants in must are completely undealable with. Along with other elephants, horses, deer, and other animals, and instantly make them all cry in ecstasy and chant Krishna's name. I will make the king and all his men cry and chant Krishna's name. I know that you don't believe that it is possible, but I will show you right now, and you can see for yourself. The Lord noticed a small girl who was the daughter of Srivas Pandit's brother named Narayani. The brother wasn't named Narayani, the girl was named Narayani. Lord Gorachandra, the supreme god, had the super soul within everyone's heart, ordered the little girl, Narayani, chant Krishna's name and cry in ecstasy. The four-year-old girl became extremely agitated with ecstatic spiritual emotion and cried out, Oh, Krishna! She began to weep, losing all perception of the external world. Tears streamed down her body and she fell to the ground. Smiling, Lord Vishrambar asked Srivas, are your fears pacified now? Vaishnava will remember for many years to come how Narayani was a recipient of the Lord's mercy. So I really like this story that Mahaprabhu was saying, don't worry, I'm going to keep you safe. I'm going to try to do it as a super soul. If that doesn't work, I'm going to threaten the king in the boat. If that doesn't work, I'm going to have a demonstration in his court. So in this way, Krishna knows everyone's destinations but what he's knowing is changing moment by moment. The future is always changing. The future is always in flux. So as we're making our choices moment by moment, 
our destiny is known moment by moment, and Krishna always knows that. But that doesn't mean that we have no ability to shift. Okay, the last point I'm going to make is one by Sanatana Goswami, where the wives of Kaliya were implying that, you know, Kaliya has taken shelter in Vrindavan, and anyone who's taken shelter in Vrindavan should be under your protection, not punished. I mean, Kaliya took shelter. This is the next chapter, so we will a little bit of forthcoming attractions. But Kaliya took shelter in Vrindavan to get away from Garuda. So he was being attacked by Garuda because he had eaten Garuda's offerings. And, you know, there was this competition between Kali and Garuda who was going to eat the snakes, cannibalistic snakes, Hare Krishna. Anyway, but he took shelter in Rindavan, and he took shelter in Rindavan because of the curse of Sobri Muni. It's a whole long story. But he took shelter in Rindavan. And the concept is anyone who takes shelter in Rindavan, for what any, any reason, should have the mercy of the Lord. And yet, the Lord is not being merciful to him. So this was another paradox that the Nagapatnis are implying here. And, and they're saying it's okay. It's okay that you're punishing someone who's taken shelter of you in Vrindavan, because although he took shelter from you in Vrindavan, he was poisoning the Yamuna, and he was killing the residents of Vrindavan. So he took shelter in Vrindavan, but he was causing violence in Vrindavan. And therefore, it's fitting that even though he has your shelter, you're also punishing him. So as we pointed out in the beginning, that both Sanatana Goswami and Sridhar Swami, the Bhagavatam commentator, says that we can only understand these paradoxes by the satisfaction of the Lord. And Sridhar says that all of these prayers of the Nagapatnis greatly satisfied the Lord. The Lord was really happy. Aren't we happy like that when someone understands our paradoxes? When someone doesn't pigeonhole us? When someone doesn't say, you know, oh, you're just like this, or you're just like this. And we're thinking, actually, I'm rather complex. I'm not just like this or like that. So the Lord was so pleased that these Nagapatnis understood him holistically. They understood his complexities. They understood his paradoxes. They understood him as not an idea, not a philosophical concept, but as a person. And Sridhar Swami says, in the same way, may any of you who are reading these prayers of the Nagapatnis, you know that the Lord will also be satisfied with you. So, questions, comments, additions, subtractions? Yes, Christopher. I, I was thinking about intentions here. Um, when a person does something like Kaliya, he goes to Vrindavan, but his intentions aren't correct, mm-hmm. then there has to be some kind of correction. Yes. So, our intentions in this world mean there's going to be corrections there where we get kicked by diseases and problems. So... You know, when atheists talk about no God, but what's their intention? Yes, that is a very good point. And Krishna, it's also wonderful, I think, one of the most wonderful things about Krishna is that he's, he's interested in our intentions and our effort more than the results, which we don't have full control over. You know, this is an ongoing debate in education. Do you grade the student by result or by effort? Right? Is effort part of the grade? But Krishna is looking primarily at intention and effort and, and not at the, at the result. We're only one of five factors in the result. 
So yeah, he took shelter of Vrindavan, but he took shelter of Vrindavan for the wrong intentions, and then of course he caused a lot of trouble in Vrindavan. So yes, even us as aspiring devotees, at least for myself, um, maybe I'm aspiring to aspire to aspire to be a devotee. Uh, but yeah, if I'm coming with wrong intentions, then Krishna's like, okay, you know, we've got to kick that out of you. That's not, not can't stand. Yes, Marsh? Well, there's another story, there's a little contradiction. <laughs> okay. Another story about the person who came with the wrong intentions, he didn't get kicked. And that was the story of the person who heard that in Vrindavan there was a little boy, Krishna, and he had a lot of jewels and everything like that. Yeah. And he wanted to uh, steal, steal the, jewels. the jewels. But he didn't get kicked. He didn't he get, get kicked at all. He came to Krishna and then he became enamored by Krishna. So Isn't that fascinating? There was no kicking there. There was no kicking there. I love that story. And I particularly love that story because one of our god brothers, Haridas, had a similar story with Srila Prabhupada. Do you know about that? No. Oh my goodness, I, I, I wish we had more than, on my watch we have four minutes, but that one we have two. Four, uh, four minutes. We, have, we actually have four minutes? Okay. So I, I heard from Haridas at the 25th anniversary of the opening of the Juhu Temple, he told his own story. He was an orphan, street boy, and he lived by stealing. He was constantly put in jail for stealing. And uh, he didn't even know his own name. He would make up different names every time the police caught him. In jail, he found a Back to Godhead magazine that had a photograph of Srila Prabhupada, and he saw an expensive watch on Prabhupada's hand. And he thought, when I get out of jail, I'm going to find this man and steal his watch. When he got out of jail, he went to the original Juhu temple, which was a run-down building full of rats and dirty water. But he had lived on the street, so for him, this was a palace. And he was, did a lot of service there. Uh, I, I wish I could tell his whole story. It's a wonderful, wonderful story. Anyway, at one point, he kept asking the devotees, when can I meet your leader? When can I meet Srila Prabhupada? When can I meet Srila Prabhupada? You know, in the meantime, uh, Vishaka gave him the name Haridas, because he didn't even know his name. And, uh, they, you know, he was doing a lot of service at the temple. Anyway, at one point, Srila Prabhupada came in the area, and he asked the temple president if he could see him. And he said, all right, you know, you can just go briefly. So he was given a train ticket. He went to see Srila Prabhupada, went into Prabhupada's room, offered obeisances. And Prabhupada said, so, why have you come? He said, Srila Prabhupada, I have come to steal your watch. <laughs> and Prabhupada took off his watch and handed it to him and said, here, you can have it. And Harida said, I no longer want it. Uh, wonderful, wonderful stories. Uh, there was one time when Haridas, when he, he would go to do the boga shopping, and he would also steal. So he, he would steal candy. And one time when he was going past Prabhupada's room, he offered obeisances, and a chocolate bar fell out of his bead bag. And Prabhupada picked it up and said, what is this? He said, we don't eat this. He said, I'll take care of you. Prabhupada went to the kitchen and made halva, specifically for Haridas so he wouldn't be stealing candy bars from the shop. And how Haridas got initiated is an incredible, incredible story. And I wish I had time to tell it, maybe sometime in the future. Shri Prabhupada Ki Jai. Shri Bhagavatam Ki Jai.